All right, Christ Church. I'm Pastor Bob, lead pastor here at uh, Christ Church. It is great to be together again. Greetings to all you folks up there in the uh, upper room, all the folks uh, out online. You know, we got folks uh, I know today watching down in Florida, shouting out to Florida. How awesome is that? Folks told us they were going to be down there. So uh, great to have all of us together. And uh, as we're together today, today we wrap up uh, What Would Jesus uh, Undo, which means next week we start uh, a new series. Excited about the new series. It's called My Big Fat Mouth. Hopefully not a personal reference, but yeah, it actually is a personal reference because all of us let our mouths get in the way, right? Uh, So we're going to be talking about uh, criticizing, complaining, lying, gossiping. Pretty good list? All right, good. So I hope you're going to be here for each one of those, uh, those weeks. Uh, But today, we wrap up What Would Jesus Undo? And remember, in this series, what we've been trying to accomplish is uh, to look at those things uh, that Jesus would want to just kind of rip out of uh, our lives, right? The WWJD bracelets, What Would Jesus Do? was trying to encourage us to do what he, he wants us to do, right? To step into his footsteps. This series has been about those things that just creep into our lives, stay in our lives, uh, that Jesus would want to just take out of our lives, right? And so we've been looking at what, like uh, hypocrisy and apathy uh, and what am I forgetting? Hollow worship, thank you. Yeah, hollow worship, and we did that. Oh, worship director hollered that one out. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, how could could I forget? Uh, Hollow worship, yeah. Uh, And today, uh, a, a tough one, interesting one, one that creeps in so darn easy on us, uh, spiritual pride. Now, when we talk about spiritual pride, it's important we've got to kind of get into this thing and be real careful so we know exactly uh, what we're talking about. Because when it comes to that word pride, uh, the word pride itself, uh, that experience uh, has shown up in history in some pretty profound places. For instance, has anybody ever heard of the seven deadly sins? Right? You got those? Right? These are the seven big ones, right? The seven deadlies. And guess what word or what action shows up on the seven deadly? But pride, right? It's, it's in the list, right? So as we come into pride, we've got to really be cautious in understanding what it is because the reality is pride creeps into our life in a lot of different ways. Pride is also found uh, in the scriptures, right? So for instance, You can go to Galatians, and you get the Apostle Paul, and Paul is speaking about pride, really, in in a pretty positive frame of reference. So he says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get what? You'll get great satisfaction, right? You're going to get the satisfaction, right? Pretty akin uh, to pride. And so the reality is that as we go through life, there are places in our life where, where pride is something that just grows out of our experience. And so, uh, you know, you do a good job, you get done with it, and you just feel good about it, you get a sense of satisfaction about it, right? Uh, this last week, I spent a couple days up at, uh, up at our cabin up in Spooner, and my job was to get the boat out, get the dock out, uh, and uh, get the lift out, right? I did that all alone. I had a power winch to help me along a little bit, but, you know, no dummy here, just push the button. But, you know, when I got done, I took a picture of that, and I sent it to my son, who was not there helping me do the project. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, yeah, I am man, you know. <laughs> right? Well, you know, there was a sense of satisfaction 
over accomplishing a deed. Anybody had that experience? Yeah, right? And Paul is saying, yeah, hey, you know what? That's, that's going to happen, and that's okay. There is a sense of satisfaction. But, you know, if we push it, we can always worm our way and find our way and wander our way back to the reality that, well, yeah, you know what? But like that cabin and, and the work and everything, that, that is a tremendous gift God has given me in my life, right? I can always find a way to, to get that back to my relationship uh, through Christ. And here's another one. Uh, this one I really like, pride in others. Uh, any grandparents out at 9.15, 8 o'clock? Everybody put their hand up, right? But nine, Yeah, right? So you take pride in your grandchildren, right? Uh, I certainly do. I've got uh, four of those grandkids now and uh, really thrilled about just hanging out with them. And when they do something good, uh, man, I, I just feel really good about that, right? Oh, you went potty. Fantastic. That's great, honey. Way to go. It's the little things, but, you know, you take pride, right? Paul, the great apostle Paul, right, wrote most of the New Testament. I mean, guy that knew the gospel, here he is expressing pride, right? I have the highest confidence in you, and I take great what? Great pride in you. He has pride in others. Now, you know, again, we can bring that back, right? Because, you know what? I understand from the get-go that all those grandchildren in my life are an incredible gift, right? An incredible gift that God has given to me, right? So I can't detach that, right? And that's really the key that we're going to see this morning as we look at spiritual pride. What is spiritual pride? Because we've seen in Scripture where pride shows up, right? So what is the thing that Jesus would undo in our lives, well, when you get to spiritual pride, the issue uh, is around understanding all of those things in relationship to Christ, right? As opposed to all about me, right? Spiritual pride is when we detach, right? When we separate and we detach from our relationship with Christ and instead only focus as if life is all about me, right? Or you can, here's one definition, a sinful individual who shifts ultimate confidence from God to who? All about me. I did it all. I accomplished it all. And I, I, you know, am I not so wonderful? I am the most fantastic person in the world, especially compared to everybody else, right? I'm the only thing important, right? Therein lies spiritual pride when we detach from our relationship with Christ and we focus only on ourself. The Greek word that shows up in Scripture that is translated pride uh, means proud, arrogant, haughty, right? Uh, and interestingly, that Greek word only shows up once in the Gospels. Shows up in, in Scripture and other, in the other parts of the New Testament, but it only shows up in the witness of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, in one place, and it's in Mark 7. And what's really interesting about this is if you go into Mark uh, 7 and you look at Mark 6, in the chapter before, Jesus did some pretty incredible things, like he fed 5,000 people and he walked on water, okay? So he just got done feeding 5,000, just got done walking on water, and then in Mark 7, he warns us against pride. Pretty interesting juxtaposition, isn't it? Uh, Jesus, what have you done lately? Well, (laughs) 
Glad you asked. I, uh, I just fed 5,000 people. <laughs> Did a little walking on some water. It was pretty cool. Because, <laughs> you know, after all, I'm pretty great. I mean, it'd be really good and really easy to get awful prideful, right, about those experiences. And yet, he brings it back in, in chapter 7, right here. He brings it back to not the experience, but the attitude of the heart. For, for from within, out of a person's what? Out of a person's heart, right? Here's the key for us to understand today. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immaturity, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, and pride, followed by foolishness. I love the foolishness at the end, right? Now, all these, all these vile things come from within and they are what defile you. This is the issue for us. When we see what Jesus wants to undo around spiritual pride, it has everything to do with the attitude of our heart. Now, our culture kind of grabs that in some ways. We have sayings out there that everybody knows. We'll see if you guys know these sayings, right? This one in particular. But, uh, you know, we have this saying out there. You see it on TV and all, all kinds of places, right? Where it talks about pride because it says, uh, what? Uh, pride comes before, some of you know it, pride comes before a fall, right? That's kind of out there in culture, general knowledge. Pride comes before a fall. Interestingly, that's not exactly what Scripture says. It comes out of Proverbs 18, and it says, pride goes before, what's the word? Yeah, I, I kind of fallen sounds pretty light to me. Pride comes before destruction and haughtiness, parallel word to pride, before a fall. Spiritual pride is a serious issue that Jesus wants to undo. Why? Because spiritual pride detaches us from the living God and focuses only on ourselves. If you uh, look at Luke 18, go read that when you get home today. Luke 18, Jesus tells an incredible parable. And in this story that he tells, uh, he is directed at trying to undo spiritual pride. He even says so at the beginning of the parable. He says, Jesus told this story, this picture story, the parable, to some who had what? They had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. These are the elements of spiritual pride. Great confidence in me and me alone, apart from Christ, and what does that make my attitude towards others? I'm not only, de not only detached from my relationship with Christ, but I am equally detached from others, how I view or value others. We'll see it in the parable, right? Now, to thoroughly understand this parable, you need to... Um, you need to grab the concept of good guy, bad guy, right? Good person, bad person. You've got to grab the concept. So I thought I'd try to help you do that this morning before we get right to the parable with some pictures. Now I'm going to show you a picture. Shout out good guy and then shout out bad guy, all right? I'll ask you for good guy. I'll ask you for bad guy. You ready to go? Here we go. Good guy? Oh, my gosh, you're slow. Batman, good guy. You bet. Batman, good guy. Uh, who's the bad guy? Joker, nemesis, bad guy. Okay, good guy? 
Luke Skywalker! You bet, bad guy. You're right, Darth, Darth, bad guy. Okay, here we go for you ladies. Good person? Wonder Woman, of course. And this is the hard one. Who is the, uh, the bad guy in the movie? Ares, you got it. Fantastic. Okay, you guys are batting 100. You ready for this one? Good guy? Pharisee! Good guy! Bad guy? Tax collector. I mean, you all know that, right? I mean, if you were in Jesus' day, if you were in Jesus' culture, you would have responded the same way you responded to all the other pictures. You would know in an instant, in a moment, you wouldn't even blink. You would know. Good guy. Pharisee. Pharisee's good guy. Why? Because why, after all, he knows all five books of the Old Testament, the first five books, the Pentateuch. He's got a memorized Genesis, Exodus, Ephesians, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He knows not just the titles. He knows the books. He knows every word. He's got memorized every rule of righteousness by which one should live. He is obviously incredibly right, religious, and good. In contrast, tax collector. How many like paying taxes? I didn't see a hand go up. Good. They didn't either. And the worst part is these tax collectors collected taxes for Romans. They worked for the Romans. They came and took your hard-earned money and then gave it to your enemy so they could keep you underfoot. And worse, not only did they work for the Romans, not only did they give your tax money to the Romans, but the Romans said to the tax collector, listen, you need to collect this much, and above that, the rest is yours. So they collected this much for Rome, and then they collected this much, and everything they collected in between went right into their own pockets. They got wealthy on your back. Let me ask you again. Good guy? Pharisee. Bad guy? Tax collector. You see, that's how you start the story. That's the mentality you got to have when you begin to understand what Jesus is going to teach us in this parable about spiritual pride because it was assumed. Good guy, Pharisee, bad guy, tax collector. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was good guy, Pharisee. The other was, he even says it, despised tax collector. Jesus even sets you up for the assumption you already have about who's good and who's bad. Then he begins to disclose. He discloses not simply what they do, but he discloses in the parable the focus, the attitude of their hearts. Remember Mark 7 we just we looked at? He discloses the attitude of their heart. Now I want you to listen to the Pharisee and, and discern for yourself, try to name what is the attitude of this guy's heart. The Pharisee stood by himself 
and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. You get a hint of his attitude? How does he see himself? Higher? Better. Especially than others. After all, I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I am certainly not like that tax collector. And then he proves his own righteousness. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Now, you need to know the Pharisees were only required by law to fast once a year. And he fasts how often? Wow! (laughs) Twice a week! And you're required by law to give a tenth of your income, which he does. Probably no more, but at least he tithes. On the surface, by what he does, the Pharisee looks like a good guy. And yet, what is the attitude of his heart? He sees himself righteous by his own works, and he views others as less than himself. Do you see it? He sees himself righteous by his own works, and he views others as less than himself. In contrast, bad guy, tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. What do you get a hint of the attitude of his heart is? Can't even lift his eyes to heaven. Can't can't even understand himself to engage with God. He is that bad. He says, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. What is his self-concept? He doesn't even compare himself to others. He understands who he is without God. He understands what his life is without God. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 7. For from within, out of a person's heart... You see, this is the challenge of spiritual pride. What is the attitude of your heart? Because Jesus, at the end of the parable, at the end of the story, unleashes the surprise ending. Because we all knew going in, good guy, Pharisee, bad guy, tax collector. And yet the surprise ending, Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, the tax collector not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. And then here's the principle. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus wants to undo spiritual pride. Why? Because spiritual pride detaches us from our dependence on God and makes it all about us and spiritual pride compares us to others and we always come out on top and we detach 
and get distant from the value of others. Spiritual pride, spiritual pride detaches us from God and from others. So Jesus would say, this we must undo. So how do we undo it? How do, how do we deal with this temptation of spiritual pride? Let me give you some hits, hints and tips this morning of how we can insulate ourselves in our relationship with Christ and guard against the spiritual pride thing and its callousness towards others. First, we guard against spiritual pride when we remember what we deserve. This is a great one. Remember the Pharisee? How did he see himself? Awesome, incredible, fantastic. And the tax collector, how did he see himself from his heart? Broken, sinful, in need of Christ. How do you see yourself? You see, we guard ourselves, we guard ourselves against spiritual pride when we remember what we ultimately deserve. What do we deserve? Well, we deserve everything that Jesus went through for us. Everything he went through, that was for us. We deserve that. He didn't. That's what we deserve. But he took it for us. Ephesians, Paul says, you were saved by faith in God who treats us much better than what? Much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you and not anything you have done on your own. It isn't something you have earned. So there's nothing you can boast, brag about. See, we guard against spiritual pride when we remember that Jesus took upon himself everything we deserve. I don't know about you, but one of my, my favorite uh, worship experiences is uh, Ash Wednesday. If you don't come to Ash Wednesday, you are missing a spiritual opportunity. Just planting the seed because it's coming, right? If you don't come, you're missing a spiritual opportunity because it is a profound moment for me when somebody puts dirt and dust and ashes on my head and says to me, Remember, you are dust, and the dust you will return. I need that, because ultimately, I'm nothing but a pile of dirt. Without the hands of God shaping, fashioning, forming, and breathing life into that dirt, I am nothing. I am just a pile of dirt. But with Christ, with Christ, he can do all things through me. With Christ, I can experience and accomplish things I neither dream nor imagine, but he purposes. You see, without him, I am nothing. Within him, with him, I can make an eternal difference. We guard against spiritual pride when we understand everything is a gift. When we look at everything and everyone around us and we understand it's all an incredible gift. 
Those grandchildren I take pride in. What an incredible gift. My kids, what an incredible gift. This church, what an incredible gift. It's all just gift. It's all just gift. Paul says, for what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? Isn't that a great question? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? See, we guard against spiritual pride when we understand everything is just a gift. What a good and gracious God we have. We guard against spiritual pride when we focus on the cross and the tomb. We guard against that spiritual pride when we remember it's all a gift and Jesus did it all for us. Not only did he experience the cross for us, but he walked out of the tomb for us. Death has no fear for us. There's nothing this world can do to us. There is nothing in this world that can overcome his power unleashed in your life. And he did it for you. His dream for you, his purpose for you, his desire for you is absolutely unchanging. And when we stay attached to him, our lives make incredible eternal impact. Galatians, Paul says, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross... My interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. Life is about nothing except Christ. We guard against spiritual pride when we remember and focus on the cross and the tomb. And we guard against spiritual pride when we serve others. Remember that Pharisee and his attitude of the heart? He looked at others by comparison and saw them of lesser value. Uh, I like going to uh, Brewer games and, and uh, down to Marquette games and stuff like that. But I have to tell you that every time I go into one of those giant, you know, arenas and gatherings of people and, you know, the stadium's full of people, one of the thoughts that God always brings to my mind is I sit there and I wonder, how in the world is Christ Church going to reach all these people? Because I can never forget the most important thing to remember when I meet somebody is that Jesus died for them as much as he did for me. And he has the same dream for them as much as he has for me. It's to value the other person, not because of who they are, but because of who Christ is and how he sees them. We guard against spiritual pride when we meet that clerk at the store, when we meet that other person out there at the job, when we're around whoever we're around, friends and others. When we meet that person, we understand and we see them as the opportunity to meet Christ. We guard against spiritual pride when we elevate others and we remain humble. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to do what? Serve others. There is a lot in our life that Jesus wants to undo. We've only touched on a few things in these weeks and today, uh, touching upon that spiritual pride thing. 
we're going to pray uh, here in a minute, and uh, then we're going to, after we pray, uh, we in this room here, we're going to take some time uh, for reflection to just think about all of these things that we've talked about in this series, and let give God some time. Remember what Jesus said, it's all a matter of the heart. Uh, so let's pray, and let's uh, enter a time of reflection. Father, thank you for bringing us to this room today. Uh, guard us. Guard us against spiritual pride. Uh, because, Lord, the, the truth is, um, without you, without you, we're just lumps of dirt. But with you, our lives can be incredible. They can have eternal impact. So, Lord, we come to you today as broken as we are. We come to you just like that tax collector. And we just uh, humble ourselves this morning and we ask, help us this morning to receive the incredible gift of everything Jesus accomplished for us with a cross and an empty tomb. Help us to receive the forgiveness he won for us, to let it wash over us and renew us. Help it to impact our relationships so that we can practice forgiveness. Lord, we come to you. We dare not lift our eyes even to heaven. And we beat our chests and we ask, invade our lives with grace, forgiveness, with the power of your Holy Spirit to look beyond ourselves and to truly love others. Lord, we come to you now. We take this time to just pause and reflect. We do all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.